0: And on this week's show, we talk to young Gambian Modu Lamin Marong, one of many Africans playing for small teams in Europe. We've been catching up with him every few months to find out how he's been getting on in pursuing his dream of playing for one of Europe's biggest clubs. Well, Modu is in the fourth tier in Sweden, but feels that something bigger could happen. The
1: representative was um, in contact with a second Bundesliga team in, in Germany so we were waiting for that um, um, response and then these COVID-19
0: strikes. And there's so much to talk about in European football with Barcelona, Manchester City and Manchester United all having experienced disappointments of various degrees. Well, first, we have revised dates for the Africa Cup of Nations and World Cup qualifiers, though still subject to conditions being favourable. The 2021 Nations Cup will, of course, be played in 2022 now. Uh, Round three and round four of qualifiers have now been scheduled for November of this year and then the fifth and sixth round of games for next March. Uh, Meanwhile, qualifiers for the 2022 FIFA World Cup begin in May and June of next year. We'll see if games do start in November for Nations Cup qualifying. A lot of countries still need to organise a lot for things to happen. Well, there's nothing quite like African football, is the The passion, the excitement, the challenges, and the weird and the wonderful stories that we get sometimes. Well, one story was pretty astonishing, as Guinean club Horoya lost the bag that had all of the players' and coaches' passports in it, Horoya are due to fly to Morocco next week to prepare for their Confederation Cup semi-final against Pyramids of Egypt. And incredibly, a club official had all of the passports as he was finalising the team's travel plans, and the passports went missing as the bag was left in an unlocked car in Conakry. Horoya are now offering a reward if the bag and passports are returned. (laughs) There's a story that you just couldn't make up either. (laughs)
2: You really couldn't, Steve. And I just find some scenarios so curious to our continent, you know. But look, funnily enough, um, it's actually not the first time that I'm hearing about lost passports. And at least within the context of African sport, I'll tell you a quick story. So in 2019, the Kenya National Volleyball Team, well, they were prepping to travel to Italy for a huge international tournament. And one of the players' passports weirdly went missing just before the team was due to apply for visas. And it went missing, Steve, uh, apparently during a team training session. And then right after the team had secured the visas her passport magically reappeared, you know. So I'm not saying that the Horoya situation is exactly similar to that. But, you know, they are definitely very strange sort of circumstances. But um, as for Horoya, well, Steve, I know the reward has been offered, as you've said. Whether the passports will be found, however, is uh, something entirely different. It will be interesting to see how Horoya navigate this and, you know, it's a month to the semifinal, but we all know that travel paperwork ordinarily takes a lot of time and especially within Africa. But look, I'm sure they'll find a way. Uh, it will be interesting, however, Steve, to know if any action will be taken against uh, this official who lost the team passports.
0: Yes, indeed. And to add to that, back in 2013, Zimbabwe national team defender Hardlife Jirekwi lost his passport on national team duty. He left it on a plane on a flight from Harare to Nairobi. It was found by a man on his way to South Sudan, and he kindly took it to the Zimbabwe embassy in South Sudan. A happy ending there. Let's hope it's going to be the same for Horoya. Now, here on the show, we've been following the career of young Gambian Modu Lamine Marong over the past two years, catching up with him every few months to find out how he's been getting on. Now, Modu dreams of playing for one of Europe's biggest clubs, but he's currently playing in the lower tiers of professional football in Sweden. He first made the bold move of going to train with a club in Sweden without a contract at the age of 20. Then he did get his first contract with fourth-tier club Jonsa Well, we last spoke to Modu back in March. At that time, he was at home in Sweden most of the time because of the pandemic. He coped okay, and football wasn't affected so badly in Sweden. The COVID-19 situation there was better than in most European countries. In good news, earlier this month, Modu joined a new club, still in the fourth tier, though, and in one of the coldest parts of Sweden. And he told Planet Sport Football Africa's Adrian Barnard that there could have been something bigger for him. Yeah,
1: um, there are a few big clubs which were approaching me, but when this coronavirus arrives, everything turned down. At the end, my representatives told me that, well, we have an offer for you in the north of Sweden, Robert Force IF. So we want you to go there and then play for the rest of the season. So therefore, I want to take this challenge. And then that is the reason why I came here to this new club. But everything is so fascinating here. They welcomed me very nice. The people in the neighborhood were aware of my signature. So they are really nice people here in the north of Sweden.
3: Now, Robert Force plays in the Norland Division 2, which is the fourth tier of Swedish football. And you mentioned that you're playing in the north of Sweden. Now, I've looked it up, and Robert's Force is about 700 kilometers north of the Swedish capital, Stockholm, but you're only 250 kilometers south of the Arctic Circle. So are you prepared for the Swedish winter? <laughs> yes, I am I am prepared for the winter.
1: <laughs> Uh, according to people, this is my first experience about the north of Sweden. But I've been heard that it's the coldest and the most most coldest place in the Sweden. But I am ready for it. I know it's a big challenge.
3: <laughs> it's very different from when you started off playing in the youth team at the Gambia Ports Authority.
1: Yeah, it's very very different. You know, it's another level. You know, you've got to learn new things every other day, every other training. So. It's very, very different from the Gambia, but everything is okay.
3: Now you're still only twenty two years old, Madhu. You have the rest of your career ahead of you. What do you think are the greatest footballing lessons that you've learned during your time in Sweden?
1: Yeah, Adriano, I have learned a lot. I feel like Sweden have improved my way of football prior to the game I was playing in the Gambia or in Senegal. It's very, very different here. Tactical-wise, spacing, moving, nowhere to stand in the field. They taught me a lot, so I am very, very grateful. It's a very good start for me here to begin my career in Sweden.
3: And you're a striker, of course. Just tell us a little bit about your goal-scoring career at Jonsereds that uh, took you on this move to Force?
1: I have scored um, a couple of goals for Jonsereds, you know, and then it was very sad to even bid a farewell to them because... It has been my first club outside Africa, but I have scored a couple of goals for them, and everyone in the club appreciated me. So, and I told them that this is well, this is a new challenge, I have to go and type my boots somewhere else and then keep rolling. My socks, that's the way it is.
3: And what about your longer-term ambitions? You mentioned that your agent had spoken about perhaps bigger clubs, but due to COVID-19, it was best to stay in Sweden for the time being. So what are your longer-term ambitions, Modu?
1: Because my representative was um, in contact with a second Bundesliga team in in Germany. So we were waiting for that um, response and then this COVID-19 strikes. But now, for the time being, I will be playing here in Sweden until everything is settled with this COVID-19. Then probably, honestly, I will be moving maybe to the Bundesliga, second or second or third Bundesliga, hopefully.
3: And uh, hopes of maybe one day representing your country, playing for the Scorpions?
1: Yeah. And that is the, that's the wish of my father always. Even um, yesterday he was calling me because we played a game yesterday and we won for the first time in the campaign. He was calling me asking, asking me about, well, how was the game going? So it's his dream for me to come and play for my country. So we hope, we hope so. One day I will go and play for my
3: country. And uh, we look forward to that day and wish you well with that uh, endeavor. Modu, what do you think have been the biggest highlights of your time playing in Sweden?
1: uh the biggest highlights i think is my fourth season with um it was my biggest highlights in sweden when i was scoring seven goals in eight games
3: a very impressive record and mm. the other side of highlights is challenges and we've spoken before about the challenges of being away from your friends and family as a young man in sweden and also the cold <laughs> as someone yeah. from gambia what other challenges have you faced
1: Yeah, I have faced um, so many challenges here in Sweden, but I don't want to rebuild those challenges in the media at the moment. I felt like it's not the right time to talk about it, but I have passed through a lot here in Sweden. But now, Alhamdulillah, thank God I am starting to... Leave my dreams
3: <laughs> and a question i'm sure many people at home in the Gambia and across africa would be asking at what stage of the year does it begin to get really cold for you and how does the cold in the winter up there near the arctic circle affect your football i expect there's a winter break there for you to have but what other things do you have to do to adjust to playing football in snow and ice
1: yeah it's a very very big challenge if you don't experience it, you don't know how it goes. But I I want them to know that it's a very big challenge to play in the winter. So this winter, it's it's crazy. It's crazy, yeah. <laughs> well,
0: that's young Gambian and Modu Lamin Marong speaking to Planet Sport Football Africa's Adrian Barnard. We've been following his career over the past two years and he hopes to join a big club to get a dream move one day. He's been giving us an idea of how long the road can be for African players in Europe and Ida how tough it can be too.
2: It's a long, tough and unforgiving road, Steve. And a lot of African players view getting into Europe as the first major move because from then um, it is viewed that they can be able to now, you know, have a vantage point in terms of looking for more opportunities. And Scandinavian countries are quite popular. Um, I believe uh, about a year and a half ago, here on Planet Sport Football Africa, we talked to Eric Johanna. Now, he's a Kenyan international, uh, took part in a 2019 afghan and he's still in sweden you know still uh, scoring the goals but i remember talking to him and he said that the cold was a particularly hard thing to get used to so coming from sub-saharan africa and going into that sort of weather i'm sure can't be easy But, Steve, I think this also informs our thoughts on just what it takes to see African players playing at the very, very top. Can't be for the faint-hearted. And it also goes to back something that we say a lot here, but to me can't be said enough. The fact that we need to develop the structures within the continent. We need to create an ecosystem within, Steve, that will be able to nurture and support the talents within Africa.
0: Yes, to make that journey a bit easier. And we look forward to hearing again from Modu Lamine Marong soon on his journey in Europe. Thanks, Ida. This is Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport. And still to come, Stuart on the UEFA Champions League with the final this Sunday. You can follow us on Twitter at PlanetsportFA and on our website, passionforsport.com, there's a blog on disappointment, with teams like Barcelona and Manchester City licking their wounds. Russ Bravo writes that it's not failing that matters, but it's about getting up again. That's on our website, passionforsport.com. Let's go to social media now, and uh, last week we focused on women's football on the show as CAF launched a women's football strategy, calling it the dawn of a new era for the women's game on the continent. Uh, The plan includes accelerating the growth of the women's game at all levels across Africa. We heard from Morocco, where a big project has begun to promote and develop women's football. Uh, The game there is well-funded, unlike most African countries. So we asked, do you think that CAF's plans will succeed around the continent and what's needed for the plans to be successful? Well, thanks for all your comments again this week. Here to present them is Planet Sport Football Africa's Ephraim Tagu. Thanks Steve and we start today on WhatsApp with Amadou
4: Baji in the Gambia Well I think it's a splendid move by CAF says Amadou. What CAF needs to do is to create more funds to promote grassroots football in each nation and they should cooperate with the government of each nation to be on the forefront in counselling and motivating parents to allow their daughters to play football as a career. I especially hope this will happen in the Gambia where the government does not support girls football and most parents don't want their daughters to play football Kainde in Nigeria is also positive. If they work towards their goal, they will surely succeed, says Kainde. Oms K. Baji in the Gambia says, yes, this is a good thing for our continent. But I doubt if this can work or happen in all other African countries. Morocco is unlike my own country, the Gambia, where female football and football in general has no motivation. Now there seems to be a theme running through our comments already today and that while CAF's plan is a good idea, it may not work in practice and Ifratha Kamanga in Malawi is another who makes this same point. This is the most important issue here in Africa, says Ifratha. It can be successful if CAF can help in funding the national football bodies as COVID-19 is already slowing down the development of soccer in many different areas. Sana Jaune is in the Gambia women's football ball is already lacking in africa says sana i think it will succeed in morocco but i don't think Kaf's plan will succeed in the rest of africa sylvester who is also in the gambia says well all i can say is let's start the implementation and kickstart the women's game and develop it along the way the idea was already in place but up to now it has not been a priority we need to start at the schools says sylvester Uh, To uh, Malawi now, and Gray Mopiha is also cautiously optimistic. Yes, CAF will succeed, says Gray, uh, but what we need is governments in Africa to support women's football. We have great footballers in our continent and they need our support. Nuhum Bagayoko in Italy says, well I'm very happy to hear the news that Morocco has begun serious plans uh, to promote women's football. Uh, The only thing that CAF should do is to make more investment available across the continent. Uh, Daniel Ghana also takes a cautious approach. We've seen many instances where major projects have failed and the blame goes undetermined, says Daniel. And we also welcome your voice notes here on Planet Sport Football Africa and here's a clear in Uganda. The Bible that I believe in it says that a wise man learns from his mistakes, but a wiser one learns from other people's mistakes. So, here in Uganda, for example, we are seeing clubs, professional clubs in the Uganda Premier League that come forth before the beginning of each and every season, call upon each and every person who can play football. And if you have the nice touch, you are retained. And before you know it, you are given a jersey number, so unprofessional. What am I trying to say? Let us start this thing from the grassroots. I think it's uh, learning from uh, the mistakes that CAF or different federations on the continent of Africa that they have done in men's football and we try not to make them in the women's football. So Ecclesiastes saying that women's football in Africa should learn the lessons from the men's game, both good practices and mistakes to avoid for the game to develop well. But not everyone is so positive and Mohammed Tourai in the Gambia doesn't believe that CAF's plans will work. At my observations, says Mohammed, some African organizations are not very honest even corrupt, so it is very difficult to see development funds rain down in Africa. Women's football needs funds but they may not receive what they need due to corruption. And in Zambia, Mwenda Zambwe also has concerns. I feel CAF are in too much of a hurry for this, says Mwenda. In Africa, there are very few countries that are deeply involved in women's football. Here in Zambia, women's football is just in the capital city, Lusaka, and in the Copper Belt. The rest of the country isn't being taken care of or considered on grassroots level. This may not be just Zambia. Let's think of those nations that have completely no structures. Let us start from there, from the grassroots first, says Mwenda. And Vin Asha D. Pakama in Malawi agrees. We need to start at grassroots level, otherwise the plan won't succeed, says Vin. And finally, here's a Bolong Baji in the Gambia. For women's football to develop in Africa, says Bolong, nations must invest with the little resources they claim to have and the federations must ensure that women are given healthy contracts. They should also work to close the wage differential between the women's and the men's game and look after players after retirement because of the lack of equality on the side of earnings. So, Steve, I think it's fair to say that among our correspondents this week, Caf's plans have received a cautious welcome. I guess
0: we'll have to wait and see. Yes, sure. Thanks, uh, Ephraim. That's uh, Ephraim Tagu. Thanks to everybody who contributed. Next here on Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport, to our European football expert Stuart Weir in the UK. Well, what amazing action in the UEFA Champions League and so much to talk about, with Bayern Munich playing Paris Saint-Germain in the final on Sunday in Portugal. Where shall we start? It has to be with that quarter-final with Bayern Munich beating Barcelona 8-2. It was simply staggering. Uh, So is this the end of this uh, current Barca side as we know it, Stuart?
5: Well, Steve, if at the start of the season you had predicted four semi-finals in the Champions League with two teams from France and two from Germany, I think a lot of people would have laughed at you. But that's what happened, and it does seem appropriate that it's a team from Germany. Bayern against a team from France, PSG in the final. And just before we move on, a fascinating statistic is that three of the four teams in the semi-finals have a German coach. Hansi Flick at Bayern, Julian Nagelsmann at Leipzig, Thomas Tuchel at PSG, and when you add Jurgen Klopp to the list it does point to a certain dominance of German coaches in the top European clubs. I think this is effectively the end of the Barcelona team that we have known and loved. But it's been coming for a while. Now, it's five years since Xavi left and two years since Andres Iniesta moved on. And the problem is that the core of that great Barcelona team has simply been allowed to grow old together. Jordi Alba is 31, Gerard Piquet 33, Rakitic 32, Vidal 33, Messi 33, Suarez 33, and Sergio Busquets 32. And the replacements they've bought have not been entirely successful. Antoine Griezmann signed last summer for $140 million, but he was only a sub against Bayern. And Dembele, another $100 million plus signing, an unused substitute. And then there's Philippe Coutinho. They paid $195 million from Liverpool, and he's currently on loan, on loan at Bayern Munich. Now, there's also been an issue with coaching. Frank Reichardt was head coach at Barcelona for five years, immediately followed by Guardiola, who was there for four So two coaches in nine years. But in the eight subsequent years since Guardiola left, they have had six head coaches. And the fifth of the sixth, Kiki Setien, was fired immediately after that Bayern Munich defeat. And his replacement is to be Ronald Koeman. Koeman who is 57 years old, was most recently head coach of the Netherlands, but is well known in England since he was at Southampton and Everton for three years. But crucially, he was a Barcelona player for six years and also assistant coach for two years. But he's got a massive job in his hands to bring Barcelona back to where they were. Bayern's 8-2 win over Barcelona was certainly impressive. But it wasn't the only stunning Champions League performance this season. Remember them winning 7-2 in London against Tottenham and then that 7-1 aggregate win over Chelsea. Now, on paper, you would say that a game between a top German club and a top English club would be quite even. But in reality, Bayern this season have blown away Tottenham, Chelsea, not to mention Barcelona. For Bayern, Robert Lewandowski has scored 55 goals in all competitions this season. Bayern, as a club, have scored 155 and are averaging more than four goals per game. Now, we've talked a little bit previously in the programme about Serge Gnabry, who scored two goals in the semi-final. He is German, but with an Ivorian father. And he was at Arsenal for four years from the age of 17, but only got five starts in the Premier League. I bet Arsenal wish they'd kept him. PSG are owned by the Qatar Sports Investments Company, effectively the Qatari ruling family. And they have two African players. Gana Gay from Senegal, who again is well known in the Premier League, playing for Everton and Villa. And Eric Chopamoting, that Cameroonian, who played, believe it or not, for Stoke City in England. So I think this will be a fascinating game. Bayern are probably the favourites, but PSG have Neymar, Mbappé and a lot of firepower. So it could be closer than we expect.
0: Yeah, indeed, I think it's going to be a great final. And, uh, Stuart, there was a huge shock with Leon beating Manchester City in the quarterfinals. Uh, city have the players, they have the manager in Pep Guardiola, uh, but Pep has overseen three consecutive quarterfinal exits now. Uh, why? A City falling
5: short in Europe. Now, Steve, Pep Guardiola was asked the same question. He said he didn't know the answer, so I'm not quite sure how I'm supposed to know. I mean, you could say that Raheem Sterling missed an open goal, that Ederson was badly at fault with one of the Lyon goals, and that VAR was not kind to City. But that's not a full explanation. City are a much better team than Lyon, and they should have gone out and beaten them. Guardiola, for some reason, changed his formation totally, apparently to counter perceived threats by Lyon. But would he not have been better to have used the familiar formation, which was good enough to beat Real Madrid home and away in the previous round, I also thought his team selection a little strange with neither Bernardo Silva nor Phil Foden getting any part in the game and Riyad Mahrez only coming on as a mid-second half. But I think on this occasion, Guardiola has to accept a significant amount of the blame for all his experience and expertise as a coach and for all the spending City have made, they look to be going backwards. I mean, I said previously that I think they looked the best team in England on their day, but they've got to be able to do it consistently and not lose games to teams they should beat comfortably. Yes, yeah, sure.
0: And there was disappointment for Manchester United, too, losing to Sevilla in the Europa League semi-finals. Uh, what's your
5: assessment of Man United's season, Stuart? Well, Manchester United finished the season in third place in the Premier League, also reaching the semi-finals of the FA Cup, the EFL Cup, and the Europa League. So that really has to go down as a successful season, particularly when you recall that at the end of February, United were in seventh place in the league table and seemingly with very little hope of making the Champions League. You could add that in the Europa semi-final, they were the better team, missed enough chances to kill the game off, and conceded two sloppy goals. But on the other hand, their league record of 18 wins... 12 draws and 8 defeats left them with 66 points, and that's 15 points behind Manchester City and a staggering 33 points behind Liverpool. In fact, it was a strange season where 66 points was enough to get you third place because United also had 66 points the previous season and finished sixth. And in fact, only once since Alec Ferguson retired, have United's succession of managers collected less than 66 points, so you could argue that they were a little fortunate to get third place. There have been several big pluses for Manchester United this season. The emergence of Mason Greenwood, who scored 18 goals this season, one for each year of his young life. Antony Martial has had his best season ever, scoring 22 goals. Bruno Fernandes has proved an excellent signing. But... On the other hand, David De Gea has had his worst season in years. And despite the addition of Harry Maguire, the Manchester United defence never looks totally secure. And then there's Paul Pogba. Is he one of the best midfield players in the world? Or someone who strolls around in midfield, usually passing the ball backwards? I think that if Manchester United are to make any impact on next year's Champions League and close the gap on City and Liverpool, they need to add three or four top-quality players to the squad. It was a good season for United, but they need significant improvement to come close to the elite in Europe. Yes, sure,
0: it's a big gap between Manchester United and the likes of Liverpool, Bayern Munich and Paris Saint-Germain. Thanks, Stuart. On social media this week, we're asking, what do you think is the best plan for Barcelona? After that 8-2 loss to Bayern Munich in the quarter-finals, is this the end of this Barcelona team? Should they offload their older players? Should Lionel Messi go? What about the reports last week that they might try to bring Cristiano Ronaldo to the club to play alongside Messi? What do you think is the best plan for Barca? You can go to our Facebook page and post a comment there that's Planet Sport Football Africa or send us a WhatsApp to +447955232780 that's +447955232780. Well that's it for the show for this week, so from me, Steve Vickers and Ephraim Tagu in Harare, Ida Waringa in Nairobi and Stuart Weir in the UK, thanks a lot for listening and Planet Sport Football Africa is a passion for sport production.